Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. BWI Daily Edition brought to you in full HD for the first time ever. I'm super stoked. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. I have the capability to go to 4K. I just, I dumb it down for the rest of everybody else. Nate Bauer, plus uploading these files to YouTube would destroy me. It would be a three-day process. But uh, Nate Bauer joining us today on the BWI Daily Edition. It's our mailbag episode and our practice review Sights and sounds you can check out in our highlight video what we heard and the players we spoke to after practice. We're getting into that today and your questions. So, Nate, how you doing? I, I'm I'm doing great. I'm excited about this. We we have upgraded our technological capabilities because if people want anything, it's to see me more clearly. Yes. Right? Like that's Top top of the list of, yes. of priorities. So we have accomplished this. We're making moves. We're doing yeah, things here. Yeah, I think it shows dedication and commitment to what we're doing here on YouTube. So if you're if you're listening on our podcast, first off, I totally get it. There's a lot of commute Stop. time for a lot of people, but uh, we're both very good looking people, and I show you video here on uh, on YouTube. So we'll be getting into some of that, and of course, like I said, highlight video from yesterday came out right after practice, so you can check out what we saw from Blue White Illustrated's vantage point. And uh, I'm going to get into the mailbag. I'm going to dip into the mailbag quickly because somebody asked me about something about the offensive line. In fact, it happened twice yesterday. And and one of the comments was, why haven't we heard more about the offensive line? You guys need to... to so how it works, Nate, please explain yeah. to the people how it works when it rains outside and we cover Penn yes. State football. Yes. So, so two things. One, it rains every day in state college. <laughs> it really does. There are there are no days <laughs> up here where it's not raining. Yep. So naturally, because of that, um, it, honestly, it wasn't even raining yesterday afternoon, but it had rained earlier in the day, and so because of that, they practice inside. Yeah. Uh, they just they don't take any risks, and obviously, of course, you want it. So, but when they move it inside, there is a limited range for the media to be able to to kind of roam around. And so what happens is the defensive line and the offensive line are on the far side of the field. So the bottom line here is we can't see them even if we wanted to. And we do want to. We would love to see the offensive line. We would yeah. love to be able to take it in. But they are really, really far away because yep. it's not just the uh, as James Franklin likes to say, the 53 and a third of the field that uh, they're like, they're beyond that. Right. And, like, yes. And we're on the other side of the beyond. So we're not on the field. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's quite the distance plus some of the requirements, how the sausage is really made. Some of the things they ask of us to show and not show some of the things they ask us to do and not do when you go to practice, it's not a free for all. And to yes. get any of those things, we just, it just, you can't. So on you days can't. when it rains, you should be hoping for sunny weather and, and 60 degrees 
for Wednesdays from now until the end of the blue-white game so that I can get my camera right up in everyone's face when they're on the offensive line because I can when they're outside. I said somebody asked about somebody asked about Landon Tangwall. I'm like he could have been doing inverted sit-ups off of somebody else's shoulders and I wouldn't have seen it just because it's so far away and I'm doing what I'm doing to get you what we do here on the YouTube channel. So that answers a couple of the questions that we couldn't really get to during the mailbag. But what did you hear from Penn State head coach James Franklin? We got our first time to talk to Manny Diaz in person. And then, of course, Curtis Jacobs last night. So I'll start the bidding wherever you'd like. Actually, you can start the bidding of where you want to talk about those three players and some of your what you heard yesterday from them. Yeah, so I, I think that the top point for me, and these tie together, right, is that they're considering changes to the blue-white game. And changes to the blue-white game are as a result of how thin they are on the offensive line. That's something that Franklin brought up really from the beginning of spring practice. But the fact that he came back to it on Wednesday night, I think suggested pretty strongly to me, look, like, they're not panicking. This isn't a, a freakout situation. But... They, they just they don't have enough bodies to be able probably to put on a blue white game where they're comfortable, right? Like you've got uh, Sal Wormley coming off of a season ending, ending injury last year. And so even though he's back and able to participate somewhat in spring practices, it's not to the level where he's going to be out there in the blue white game, right? So like you lose one right. there. Uh, you've had some other bumps and bruises, some guys who are, are dealing with some things. And yep. so because of all of that, plus the loss of Rashid Walker, plus the loss um, you know, of, of other offensive linemen that they've had there, um, you, you know, this is the situation that they're in and you're going to see ramifications from that in the blue white game. What did I say all last season, all off season this year about the transfer portal? James Franklin said it last night. It's hard to have depth with the transfer portal. He mentioned, and he, he went on about this because obviously this is something he wants to get out there, but it's just because it's a stump speech by James Franklin doesn't make it inaccurate or wrong. It's not mm-hmm. just Penn State. Uh, yep. Teams across the nation don't have the depth of players to put on a spring game. They don't have the depth of... And by the way, that leads to depth during the season. I, I, I think it's a pretty obvious thing, but it leads to depth problems are a systemic problem in college football right now because nobody has players in the middle of their roster. If you're a redshirt yep. sophomore and you're not starting... There's a 50-50 chance you transfer. I mean, you look at the yeah. safety position. I know there were some things that went on there with the depth outside of just, you know, not playing, but they don't they lost two of their veteran depth players that might have contributed this year be, because of the transfer portal. That's just one position where they were thin at numbers and they had to move uh Zachy Wheatley over there not not just because of his long-term projection at safety but also because they needed him there in the spring. They're bringing in a big yep. class, but they only have four guys right now. Yep. No, and and, and I mean, he's going to play anyway, but I, I think that the point in in the, the transfer portal and something that James Franklin has touched on previously, but look, there, there's no reason to think that the NCAA is going to get its act together, yep. right? Or <laughs> if they there, even nothing- can. Correct. So, so there's that side of things, but if they could, if there was a way to formalize and standardize rules, 
you would be looking at a a new structure in which you can there, there are going to be like periods of time where you should be able to recruit exclusively the portal and change roster balances right like because that's that's yep. what this is about is the um you know it's it's an 85 scholarship limit which i think is probably debatable as to that's effectiveness anyway but like maybe they're gonna have to divvy that up right so like maybe it's not 85 maybe it becomes 95 and maybe of those 95 you top out at 15 transfers right or or like right. or something something to standardize so that you're able to conduct practices right like it's just it's not in the nfl uh yeah. on your 53-man roster you, you just you just go buy the next body that yep. can come in and yep. fulfill that for you and you already have it because you have practice rosters as it is in the nfl yep college fo college football doesn't work that way and so you you've hit this uh, you've run into a wall of impracticality where this it just doesn't work as it is right now. I I'm imagining 18 year old T Frank on campus at Penn State hearing that there's a lack of depth on the Penn State football team having yeah. six months of football under my belt and being like, dude, this is the perfect time to try out for a, for a division one football team because everyone needs bodies like hell. And I'll try out. I don't know if I'll make the team, but. They need people, and that's uh, James Franklin talked about that. You can find bodies at most positions through run on or walk on tryouts, except for some key ones like I don't know offensive line. It's it it's a problem right now in college football. Yep, yep. So yeah, no, I mean I'm 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 right with you. It's it's just uh, they 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 have some hurdles personnel wise that many other universities and programs are experiencing right now that frankly and they're they're acknowledging it i'm not sure how um you know how much they're they're trying to like pound the drum about this but it, he's putting it out there like they just yeah. they don't have enough players <laughs> they don't have enough players on the offensive line to be able to conduct a normal spring game and uh this this is coming out sometime today at bluewhiteillustrated.com uh, James Franklin, I asked him about defensive ends and their situation there. Speaking of not enough bodies, um, I'll, I want you to give your initial impressions of his comments about defensive end and the portal in general. Because once again, we had a long conversation with James Franklin about the portal. And uh, every single time you ask him, he brings up the fact that guys just commit places without ever actually doing any due diligence. So yeah. what are your thoughts about his fresh round of comments on the portal with the defensive end in mind. Yeah, it's it's a, a little bit of of your um, you know, getting your lighter out like the hits because we yeah. we've heard this a lot, right? I mean, yep. he's he's obviously got opinions about the portal. Um, you know, but also at the same time, I think that the the turn that you're starting to see is he's publicly recruiting. Yeah, for these things. Yep. And on Wednesday night, that public recruiting was for a defensive end. Mm -hmm. he, and, and you asked it and uh, it was a great question because you knew where he had to go with the answer, which is they don't have edge rushers. They, they have uh, they have defensive ends. Nick Tarburton is a guy who is reliable and you, you kind of know what you're going to get there. 
Uh, Smith Vilbert is a guy who shows flashes, but struggles to do it consistently. Yep. And then Adisa Isaac, who James Franklin brought up specifically as being the guy that they're banking on as yeah. an edge rusher is coming off of a, a pretty severe, you know, debilitating season ending injury. Yep. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so they have no choice, but, um, but to seek options and they're seeking options through the transfer portal. And he said that he's, he put it out there last night. Hey, Penn state needs this. Uh, they don't have enough of it. And the only way to fulfill this for Penn state is to seek experienced players Right, like singular or maybe even not experienced, honestly, maybe not even experienced with some of the guys they've hosted uh, on campus. So the reason I phrase the question the way I did is because it's not just about bodies. They've got enough bodies. Zariah Fisher, yep. Nick Tarburton, Smith Vilbert, Devon Townley. They've got bodies and they can play Hakeem Beeman if they want to at defensive end. They've got tweeners. Yep. They've got versatility. They've got good run stuffers. They got all of that. The one thing they don't have is a fastball, and and that's why edge pressure. So guys in the portal, one of the guys, and, and this is kind of something I get into in the article, is like one of the guys they were recruiting played nose tackle for the majority of his snaps. Now, that is because West Virginia used him, I think, incorrectly based on his skill set and Penn State probably sees an inefficiency there that they can they can take advantage of but there's not proof that he's a that he's a bona fide edge rusher in Akeem Mizador right. um so they need that specifically in the portal and the the most important thing to me is we talk about NIL a lot on this show we talk about how it's going to impact sports Yep. I'm drawing a direct line right now between the on-field performance next season and NIL because Penn State needs a pass rusher. And uh, Dominius Robinson is the other guy from the, that they, they hosted recently. Maryland, top 65 player in the nation uh, in his recruiting class, left Maryland after one year. Extremely talented edge rusher. Not a lot proven at the college football level. But... Our own Ryan Snyder, and this is not this is obvious too, based on his uh, the way he's conducted himself. He's already signed with an NIL company. Yep. NIL is going to be a huge factor for him, and he's got a lot of interest from a lot of schools that recruited him the first time around. Not just Penn State. Penn State already yep. lost out on their first preference, which were Gabriel and Grayson Murphy, in part because of NIL. Yep. So if Penn State can't sack the quarterback next year, don't blame John Scott Jr. The, the way that everyone's getting these premium positions in the yep. portal because you can't have depth anymore is going out and getting them in the transfer portal. And if Penn State loses out on these three players, NIL is the reason that they don't get sacks next season. Now, you can point to development. Sure, that is a part of it, and that's what James Franklin talked about last night as well. But... You know, is Nick Tarburton going to be a great pass rusher in his career, Nate? Like, even at his best, he's a good player. Right. Right. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because I, well, one, and I think that we've talked about this before, they, they have shifted away somewhat philosophically from sacks being paramount, right? If you're looking at Penn State football four years ago, three years ago, getting to 40, 50 sacks a year was a, a big deal. Like they did that all the time. Uh, they they have they have shied away from that a little bit. And I don't think based on personnel, um, I, I think that 
Ebiketti can be the example in the transfer portal of a guy whose exposure was probably limited, who Penn State was able to utilize well, and now he is looking like, what, T. Frank, late first, early second right? yeah, draft his, pick? His production, his skill, all those things to me is a late first round pick. So Some teams are not going to like him because he doesn't have... Um, you know, massive frame to play defensive end and be that all-around guy. But I think he proved through his ability to stop the run with quickness in his hands and his unreal metrics as a pass rusher that he, you know, both at Temple and at Penn State, that he is a legit a legit pass rusher. And first round, in a, in a kind of a weak draft, I would go yeah. after that. I would absolutely go yeah. after that if I'm a team that plays a four-down front that's all about getting to the quarterback and, you know, Stopping the run is sort of a secondary thing. Think like the Colts with Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis. Any team that does that, absolutely go get a guy that is 250, plays the run well, but you really want him just getting to the quarterback. So yeah, that's exactly right. And Penn State, through the portal, helped him to get to that. But if you're looking at the now and not the future... That's the change here. That's the biggest change is that guys are thinking they're going to get both. I think, I mean, look, like, and I said this the other day on our message board, I really do think that you, what's so curious about this is you look at the NFL, right? And uh, because we need something to compare this to. Yeah. There's a, there's a salary cap, right? Like there's a, (laughs) there's a, there's a limit to, to your budget as a franchise in terms of, you know, who you can bring in. You can't there are certain rules that are in place to prevent certain teams from going way over the top, right? That there's no, there's no cap on NIL. Nope. It's it, it is simply the infrastructure that you're not you personally as the university or the athletic department, but your community has in place to be able to support these athletes. And so I, you know, look like I, I do think that, Penn State will represent a step up for certain players. Yeah. And let's be honest about this. There are going to be programs that Penn State will also feed. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And so in and this is this is the way that it has been working in basketball for a little bit. You, you've seen Penn State as a direct recipient of this, of yep. of having some players who uh, developed somewhere else at a lower level and came to Penn State and Jalen Pickett, great example, uh, yep. is is able to shine. You know, there's probably a possibility, barring rules changes, that Penn State will develop players who have an opportunity to join a better, more robust NIL ecosystem yeah. uh, at a bigger program and cash in off of that unless... And this this is why it continues to be such an important conversation unless Penn State gets up to speed in that yep. category, which is not out of the realm of possibility. There are so many avenues uh, from which Penn State can develop that uh, as as a community, right? And, and form the type of in- infrastructure that these players will find attractive and that Penn State will overwhelmingly be the landing spot. But it's, if I, it's dicey. It's a precipice right now. Yep, and if I had to guess... 
I know James Franklin would would and is trying to develop that and and to be on the as he said four or five times in December on the cutting edge of things. But it can also go back to recruiting and you can kind of lean heavily on that of make sure we bring in guys that want to be at Penn State and NIL like getting to the NFL doing it the traditional way. The, you're still going to have a couple of those guys for a while, but you're absolutely right there's a future where it becomes a a, a an adapt or die ecosystem where yep. that, and that's what it is right now. So where does the Nittany line fit in that jungle quickly? We have to get to Curtis Jacobs cause you talked to him, uh, but yep. we spent entirely too much time, which is always my fault as the captain of the ship on other things. So what did uh, Curtis Jacobs have to say? Cause you got to talk to him last night uh, while I was talking to Manny Diaz. Yeah, I thought, I thought there were a, a couple of takeaways from Curtis, which were, he did not, commit publicly to the will right okay uh he was asked he was asked very specifically are are you doing both sam and will what you know where are you at and he was like i can't talk about that sorry <laughs> <laughs> so take that for what it what it is i actually i asked uh with the underlying intention of uh you know just kind of trying to see where his mind is at on all of this uh about changes that he tried to make to his body over the off season. And he stressed that the, the winter for him was all about getting quicker. He yeah. wanted to be faster sideline to sideline. He thinks yep. that's, he thinks that that's what he does best. And that that is, that is how he, you know, can, can be most productive for Penn state. So I thought, I thought that was interesting because I, I don't know. He looked a little bit bigger to me. I don't, I don't know from your perception where you think um, he looks, if he added a little bit of weight, but um, yeah. certainly that's what he stressed as being important to him. Uh, and then last, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I didn't get a chance to really get a good look as I was on my way out. I was on to another event later in the day, so I didn't get a chance to, you know, uh, uh, stop over there, which I regret. Uh, but cause I, I, I think that he's a fascinating player and I think that he's, obviously very important and he's he's also great to talk to so uh i didn't get a chance to see any of those things but you were you were gonna go i derailed this again continue yeah no no <laughs> just uh well th two things one i was gonna say like you are the one person i know who actually knows what they're talking about when they notice uh five pounds in weight gain and 10 pounds right like I, yeah anybody else who talks about slimming down and stuff like that i'm like what are we talking about guys? Like, <laughs> so yeah that was something we did talk about that earlier this offseason i noticed all of the linebackers lost weight but when it's three or four pounds you don't know if that's intentional or just on a yeah. six foot one athlete is that i didn't have my morning juice so, you yep. know, water weight can be yep. three pounds on somebody who's 230, but it does sound like it was intentional and it's part of, I, maybe it's not exactly a part of Manny Diaz's scheme, but this speed, movement, fluidity of positions in that first level of coverage is absolutely something that has been a part of his defense that I saw on film. So it does make sense yep. that he didn't bulk yep. up to get physical. He, he is focusing on movement and beating people with that. Uh, and then la last thing was just Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. It's it's mandatory to ask about those guys at this point. Yep. And he he said, uh, you know, not that this is unexpected, but guess what the word was with Nick Singleton? Burst. Yep. Right. Burst yep. is he hit he hits the hole and that's it. Uh, and then he I I, I don't want to misquote him, but I think he called Katron Allen a wrecking ball. 
uh, just, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, so big dude who is tough and physical. So I think that, you know, this is a, a storyline that we've been tracking throughout the spring, but you're, you're talking about an injection of elements to that running back room that didn't exist. Yep. And so whether or not that completely upends or disrupts the pecking order, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't really want to take a guess at that right now because the order is still the same that we see in practices, right? Like you're, you're still seeing Kevon Lee at the, at the top. Yep. Um, but, but I think has universally been acknowledged as something that is a necessity for that room is yep. to add those ingredients to what they're capable of doing. Yeah. And I, I think that both are making a case. You can't redshirt either of them. And I thought maybe yep. if the guys above them stepped up too, you could have that conversation, but if they're, if they're just as good, you've got to play the guy that's the best. So that's, yep. that's going to be very interesting to watch this spring and then to the fall. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, let's get to our questions today because we got some good ones. And uh, we will be, I think, circling back a little bit to some of the conversations we already had with these questions. But as always, if you want to get your questions on the air with Nate and T. Frank during the BWI mailbag, the best place to go is bluewhiteillustrated.com. Sign up for just $1 and get 12 months of access. Access to things that are important, like the Lion's Den message forum, where you get a, a front row seat. You get to fast past the line at Disney World to get your questions on the show. We absolutely answer those first, unless there's things like we can't answer on air for one reason or another, and then we get to those on the message board. So we'll get to those right now. Um, if Charlie Catcher can't go as Curtis Jacobs' backup, who is the backup? And I think this is kind of going back to that conversation about Curtis Jacobs, size, mobility, where does uh, Charlie Catcher fit in that lineup? Um, do you have any reads on this to start as far as, you know, I don't, I don't think it matters. I think that there's going to be a couple of guys there that are, are fighting for time, but to me it's Curtis Jacobs and then Curtis Jacobs. I know you're tired, but you're going to stay on the field. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. That's a good question. Honestly, I, I certainly, I think the catcher is the most, well, first of all, catcher can play both box positions, right? So that he's yeah. an option there. Um, but I mean, I, I think that if you go back, I don't have it in front of me, but if you go back and look at the the snap counts, uh, Penn State does not shy away from leaning heavily on their starters. Yes. Like really, really heavily. Yep. So, um, you know, uh, in, in terms of primary backup to, to Curtis Jacobs, uh, I, I think that you may be looking at a situation. Well, and, and this is true anyway, in, in terms of cross training that mm -hmm. they want, they really want their linebackers to be able to play all three spots, uh, if, if at all possible. And yeah. so kind of like the offensive line a little bit, whoever is the primary backup quote unquote, 
doesn't necessarily mean they're the fourth best linebacker, whereas the fourth best linebacker, like if Curtis Jacobs got hurt, right, it would be the it would be the fourth best linebacker yep. who gets on the field at that point, which to me sounds like a Jamari Button, yes, uh, right, or yep. a uh, Tyler Elston, Kobe King, who, whoever whoever win that Mike. That's correct. right, yeah. And there's uh, so there there's some there's some dancing around parts of this that we're doing right now to be transparent about the question um but i'm curious too as a side conversation what is the future with manny diaz at that sam linebacker position because they keep saying linebacker and jonathan sutherland linebacker they're not saying safety so is budden the backup sam is he the backup will has he moved over to will these are you know i didn't get to ask any of these questions and, and curtis jacobs didn't seem like he was interested in giving up uh, positional information the other day. Uh, but then it becomes a guy like Keon Wiley on deck too, as a freshman, yep. they talked about yep. Abdul Carter coming in and playing Mike. So that gives you some flexibility there as well. I don't think either Elsden or King are a will the way Manny Diaz explains them as far as run, hit tackle pass rush. But if you're, if push comes to shove and Curtis Jacobs is injured for some reason, you know, I, I think that there's, some options there uh you're not comfortable with all of them but it i think it remains a point you don't have depth in college football that you're used to 20 years ago of having an all-american behind an all-american because that doesn't happen anymore thanks to the portal and a bunch of other things uh oc lion your impressions of james franklin's comments on hakeem beeman still having things to work on was he referring to on or off field issues nate Another delicate <laughs> question I'm going to allow you to answer. Uh, uh, was he referring to on or off field issues? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, uh, I, I don't know. Go I, on. He, he, no, he's, look, J- James Franklin has made it clear. And it, this isn't a mystery. Last year was lost for Hakeem Beeman because of those things, because of that consistency that lack of consistency and having all of the things straightened out like it it is (laughs) college football would be a lot simpler if you didn't have to also be a college student and a student (laughs) right like i'm saying college student as in socially so you you all of these things are happening at once uh in terms of being 18 19 20 years old and that social tornado hurricane right (laughs) Right. of like what that was i i know that i was mom stopped watching not a perfect angel through my college days but no one cared yeah right like that wasn't something that anybody else was paying attention to yeah well now there are you know many more things that um you know that matter i guess when it comes to a college football program and so yes for hakeem beeman it is an ongoing process that uh, James Franklin wants to stay on top of to make sure that he can he can be a productive person, right? Yeah. In society, yeah. and then also on the football field. Can I can I tell can I tell one college story uh, without telling a college story? Yeah, of course. Okay, so I definitely peed a bunch of places I wasn't supposed to. And one of them was a church. So he <laughs> now in my defense, I didn't know it was a church when it happened. It was just a dark mm. corner and I was waiting for the bus. 
So, not the worst thing in the world, um, maybe. Uh, maybe in the world is where we need to stress there. So, yeah, I, I, to, your, <laughs> to your point, <laughs> you're not always on your best behavior. Okay, so PSU Ram, here's a longer oh, question. Oh here's a longer goodness. question. The sweet spot for the transfer portal for Penn State seems to be guys they recruited and got to know well, but didn't land oftentimes because players never earned their offer. He's thinking of a guy like Ebikidi. Does that change their approach to the overall recruiting so that some of the day down the road at like a lash bash, they'll give more attention than they traditionally might to recruits who show up and they aren't going to get a, a roster spot, but maybe two or three years down the road, they'll be ready. Um, I think that this is not, I, I, I think it, I, I under, I appreciate the marks for creativity, but I don't think that it really changes anything because they recruit all the, the guys the same way. And if that guy later wants to come back because of those relationships, I think they're still there. You don't have to do more than you would else. Otherwise, do you, do you agree with that? Yeah. And I think, I think it's also probably selling short the notion that Penn state will also be a landing spot for a guy who maybe chose a quote unquote, like I'm going to say better, but a a more prestigious or, you know, whatever. I mean, obviously Penn state is going to consider itself a blue blood, but you know how it goes. If if somebody from New Jersey ends up at Texas A&M or Alabama and it doesn't work out and Penn state wants to be a soft landing for that player, like certainly I, I think it would be the same dynamic, which is simply Penn state loves to develop relationships. They yep. want to have strong interpersonal relationships. I mean, every graphic that we run at this point, right. In terms of like a comment from a yep. Penn state recruit is how important those relationships are. They feel yep. a connection to the position coach and to the head coach. And yeah. so, um, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't think that Penn state will start to one divert attention from their top prospects, right. right to, to like, right on, on the just in case, I think it is simply a matter of, Hey, here are the pool of, of candidates. Here are the recruits that, that Penn state is interested in. And, and these guys know this, right? Like a lot yeah. of these borderline recruits who have a bunch of offers and are waiting for that Penn State offer, Penn State's honest with them about that. Yep. Right? Like, yep. hey, you know, you got to see how this thing shuffles and, out and, and sorts that's out the part. and you can go from there. That's the part right there. So if you're not honest with somebody and that Correct. is what you would be doing, showing somebody extra attention to you stoke the fire of them being at Penn State and saying, okay, check back in two or three years. That's going to blow up in your face. Like that yeah. I, I think is a, is a recipe for disaster and it's inauthentic, which is what all of these players and their parents feel when they get to Penn State, despite what some people think about James Franklin and the program is he doesn't have to be authentic with you and me. He doesn't have to be authentic with the media. He can be authentic with the players and their families and that's where it counts. Yep. No, I, I, well, not to mention the fact, and it's funny, I, I uh, wrote about and listened to Terry Smith with Justin King on uh, his podcast yesterday. And one of the things, Terry was great, uh, but one of the things that he talked about was it, it, it is incredibly and increasingly rare to think that your position coach 
not not the head coach necessarily the head coach is its own story but that your position coach will be your position coach for the duration of your college football career like that is how frequently position coaches move at this point um terry being the rare exception of a guy who has been here for every year of james franklin's tenure so yeah like if you're a position coach and you're recruiting a kid and say hey check back with me in two or three years uh, check back with me might be somewhere else, right? Like it, it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean Penn State. So yep. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I think that's too many dominoes down the line to think that they're game theorying this that far ahead. Yes, yes. And and uh, so PSU Ram has another question here. And I wanted to get this one in because I think this is a great question. And, and I, I didn't yep. want, I don't want to, felt like I was banging on him a little bit for that first one because I get what you're I, I get the point of making sure that your relationships are strong in the portal because you don't know where the next talent is going to come from. But I think just, you know, how we kind of laid it out is they're already doing that. He asks here, though, any update on Sal Wormley? Is he able to fully participate in spring practice? Feels like a huge X factor this year. Am I wrong to think that there's a chance he uh, might not just be a guy in the mix for that guard spot versus someone like Horn uh, Norzad, but may end up being really good? So, uh, because that's what James Franklin said yesterday, right? Was that uh, he was looking great. And I think Juice Scruggs even mentioned that last week of how good he was playing before he was injured last season. Yeah, it's... It's funny to me, or just just curious the way that these things work, where uh, I, I'm going to digress here for a minute if you give it to me. Last year in the preseason, Franklin brought up Wormley, as, and I'm going to quote him here, like as breaking out or has come on. Uh, that was before preseason, preseason practice had started, right at the, the beginning stages of it. Uh, Okay, so, but he was talking about like potential candidates there to start. And as we were watching preseason practices, Wormley started appearing more and more and more up with the first team reps. And so when he disappeared, right, like he no longer part of it. And James Franklin did not announce it at the time in August as a season ending injury. Uh, it, it was kind of. It's kind of glossed over and nobody really came back to it, right? Like, like nobody asked specifically. And I understand, I mean, certainly from the media's perspective of which I am a part and you are too, there is a reticence to ask directly about injured players because Franklin has made clear that he doesn't want to talk about it. We it's, get it's one question something. a week. Sometimes I'm not going to blow it on is some is X injured and what's the injury and what's the status. I need other things to talk about here on the show and I, it's not going to be one guy being injured like that's just that's but that's the, a risk I'm not going to take but the problem with that from not really from our side but for James Franklin because he brought it up yesterday is yeah. he said that that he, he basically said that we weren't aware of the ascent that Wormley had made and so it wasn't that big of a deal in terms of how it was covered yeah I, I asked at some point during the season, I want to say October or November, about what yep. Wormley would have meant. And that was the first time that Franklin acknowledged that they lost a starter. <laughs> right? Like yeah. the the big the big story of the season is how the offensive line doesn't quite have it together. And 
one of the, the key pieces was lost before the year even started. And so I, I just, it felt to me like this really massive, big, big story. You, you like if, if Jesse Lucetta had been lost for the season before the start of the season, even before he had the success that he had as a defensive end, we all would have been talking about it. Yeah. It would have been a huge conversation. Yep. But for some reason, Salim Wormley was not. It's because so now he's an offensive lineman we've never seen. And that's always the problem specifically with that position because I don't think most people know what a good or bad offensive lineman is until it's pointed out to them. Because when a run goes well, it's look at the running back. When the quarterback throws the ball 40 yards down the field from a clean pocket, you don't go, wow, look at the protection. That's, you know, you have to be looking for those things. And then when the guy you've never seen before, it's easy to brush that off. And I, I admit, I did that as well because I need to know about the players that are playing. I need to evaluate the guys that are on the field, let alone going into hypotheticals that we can't see and we don't talk about because we don't get in, you know, inside access into practice. So it, yeah. it's, it's partly that and it's also partly what you described as well. It's, it's just... It's just interesting to me from the, the perspective of even if you haven't seen him of which you're going to have a different a different perspective anyway, yep. even if you haven't seen him, you still understand that he was penciled in as the starter yeah, for the start of the season. So like if you're if you're the top guy, if you're the top option that you they have, then certainly there's going to be a, a, a level above right? Whatever that next option is, you know, that, uh, whoever they have playing at that position is not to the level of the guy who was penciled in to be the starter. So all of that is a long way to say, yeah, no, I think, I think he might not just be a guy quote unquote in the mix for a guard spot, yeah. right? Like he's, he is a guy who, if he can recover completely and is completely healthy, which is an entirely different conversation. But if those things happen, then absolutely. He, he's a guy who I think there are high expectations for, uh, or, or maybe that's the wrong way to put it. There's, there's high hopes for, right? Like, because they need that. They need that player to be able to step into that role and be what he was going to be before he got hurt. So you're going to go and answer this question while I grab one that I, I don't have here that I want um, because there was one that somehow didn't make it on Ooh. the show. Basketball, yeah. need a big man. What's the latest on a transfer from PSU87, my guy, PSU87 on Twitter. So what's the update here, my my man? Yeah, uh, all quiet on the Western front at the moment. Um, certainly... The kid from, I, I never get their names right here, but there's a kid from Lafayette who is, you know, fairly highly attractive, uh, who, who Penn State has shown interest in and is still on the market, as far as I know. Uh, and then there's another guy who came in kind of last minute in um, uh, out of Northwestern who Penn State ha has seemed to show an interest in. So, yes. Basketball needs a big man. What's the latest? Uh, uh, mostly quiet at the moment. But, you know, still one of those processes where I think pretty obviously Penn State is active and, you know, working to get that solidified. 
that was a terrible answer, but it is what it is. <laughs> well, you, uh, I, I, I'm still pulling up that quote. Uh, so can you give me 10 more seconds on, sure. uh, on, also, on where it is? They also need, they also need a guard. That's, that's the thing is like, I, I understand the people are very interested in the big man element because yes, John Hera is not part of the program anymore. And you can see that, right? Like they just don't have, they don't have bodies that are six foot seven or bigger right yep. and you're not going to expect seth lundy to be uh, a power forward next year right or or miles dread to be a power forward so yeah they, they've got two spots to fill currently and i'm absolutely certain that that is a huge priority for them still in the coming uh two three weeks yeah to, to land and nail down so Losi's mustache, I'll give you a behind the scenes thing as you watch me produce live on air. So I apologize for both of those things. But Losi's mustache, one of the epic names in our BWI message board, had a great question. I wanted to get to it, but he asked a second one here that I wanted to bring up because A, it is a common trope when it comes to James Franklin, the Penn State program, and comparing him to other head coaches. And secondarily, I have some audio for this. So Losi's Mustache asks, sorry for a long-winded question, but I don't go back to the conversation last week on James Franklin. Multiple friends think that James Franklin is not the coach to get us to the national championship. We all hear he's a great recruiter. One reason they cite he's not a consistent developer or he's not known for a specific area of talent. Ryan Day, QB developer and offensive mind. Lincoln Riley, QB developer. I'll get into all those specifically in a second. Dabo Sweeney, uh, program and develops wide receivers. Nick Saban is Nick Saban. So the summation of all these things is the CEO approach. Having an offensive and defensive success failure rely more so on the coordinators. Uh, do you think that that is something that is good for Penn State and that James Franklin and his approach is not going to get you anywhere because he's not one of these other guys that has a thing is what this always comes down to is... He's not known for being a great offensive mind or a defensive mind. He's a he he can recruit, but he can't develop. And mm -hmm. there's evidence that they've missed in recruiting, but have developed great players. I mean, there's evidence that goes both ways, but we get into these stuck narratives, and here we are. So I wanted to play something from Manny Diaz, former head coach, current defensive coordinator, when he was asked, is there something freeing? about just being the defensive coordinator? I think it, even I'll, I'll go a step further, just being a linebacker coach um, and getting to have a room again, you know, and getting to have guys that you get to really pour into every day and, and teach. Because ultimately, as a coach, that's what you are. You're a teacher. So I'm blessed with the guys that I have. I've got great guys in, in, the, in the linebacker room. I'm really fortunate of the defensive um, personnel in general, not just of their talent, but just who they are. So you just... You get back in the room and you get back to that relationship of, of being a teacher and, and you try to do that as a head coach. It's just there's just a there's just a barrier. It's just it's just not the same. So that part's been um, has been nice. So there we go. Um, <laughs> that's to to this point. None of those head coaches are doing as much coaching as you think they're doing. They are doing coaching. But if you are focused on, let's take Ryan Day. Let's take Ryan Day and that particular conversation about Ohio State. 
First off, built-in advantages of taking over Ohio State from Urban Meyer and having that level of talent on the roster, number one. Number two, their defense was a mess last season. It's an absolute mess. They He fired a defensive coordinator in the middle of the season and changed <laughs> the scheme. Yep. Pence, they did not do that. Now, in 2020, yep. because they were trying to install a new scheme, you can, we can go through that all again. I don't want to go through all that again. But Penn State has been consistent. They have had a consistent approach. <laughs> they have had a logical approach to everything. What they have not had is the same level of talent as Ohio State. Dabo Sweeney, he's the same guy as James Franklin, but in the ACC, he's made it to a college football playoff and a national championship. Um, Lincoln Riley, let's take that one. Lincoln Riley develops a great offense in the Big 12 that takes advantage of the Big 12. And is he a great quarterback developer? Or does he make it so easy for the quarterback that they all, you know, you bring in a talented player and they can make it work? Because if he's just this great quarterback developer, what happened to Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler? Like, if if lock in it, everyone from, uh, from Baker Mayfield down to... Uh, you know, number one overall pick. Who's who's not coming to mind right now? Kyler Murray. All of them. All of them developed. They're all great. Jalen Hurts is great in that system. Or yeah. is it that the system is great? And you can point to he's a great offensive coordinator and he's been to a college football playoff. But I just think that the, there is a there is a grossly averaged narrative about all of these coaches that don't take into the nuanced factors of everything else. Nick Saban is one of the greatest college coaches of all time. He's the Bill yep. Belichick of college. And then all these other guys, especially I'd say Ryan Day, the book is being written. And with James Franklin, I, there are strengths and weaknesses there, but I don't think he's any better or worse in his CEO approach than these other guys who have a shtick. And not to not to I, make it sound less than important, but that's what I'm saying. I I I get, and I hear you, and I'm 100% with you. I just get hung up when the question is phrased as James Franklin isn't the guy to get a national championship, and then the first two references and examples are two guys who haven't won national championships. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They've, been, who, to, they've been to the final four, but they haven't won a national championship. Yeah. I, I just I, I just keep I just keep saying and, and like that's not this strong defense of James Franklin. I, I am simply saying that college football, as it is as it is presently consisted of like Kirby Smart hadn't won one until yep. just now. Yep. So like if 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 it takes having won one to be relevant and, and to, to be, be a good coach, right? A good coach. Yeah. Then there are right. Cause like, Oh, left. Yep. So now Kirby replaces him. So there's six or five mm -hmm. current college football coaches and, and Mac Brown being one of them. Like, so his was 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. Like it's, yep. it's just, it's just, um, you know, it's just, it, uh, Brian Kelly, like like LSU just spent all the money to get yep. Brian Kelly. Yep. He don't got one. Yep. Right. Right. Like uh, I just, it's just 
the standard that these guys are being held to, and and I understand, like if you're Penn State, you're you're eager, you're hungry for a, a national championship. They they need to win the Big Ten again. Yes. First. Yep. They they need to get yep. to the playoffs. They they the, like all of these steps. Uh, that's just not where the program is, and I think it is incumbent on James Franklin and his staff and the program as a whole, the athletic department, the community, all of it, right to get Penn State football back to a place where it literally was five years ago, but has not been since and is kind of scratching and clawing. Like that's, yeah. that's the broader debate is can he get, not can James Franklin and his, again, quote unquote, for, uh, for lack of a better word, shtick, can, can being a great recruiter be enough to get you and, and making great hires can that be enough to get you back into that Big Ten championship game? That's yeah. that's the bridge that they need to cross because they haven't been close either the last two years. Yep, yep. And, and so I guess my biggest problem is the narrative, is these easy-to-latch-onto thoughts that are base and don't really have the nuance necessary to really explain the situation. And James Franklin may not be like if there are plenty of things to be to to criticize when it comes to the game day James Franklin coaching experience there are plenty of uh inflexibilities in the way he does things that he's admitted to that he's tried to adapt over the last couple of years i think these are all valid things but when we go into a conversation with somebody and they say great recruiter can't coach like Manny Diaz, the point I wanted to make with Manny Diaz is he, you're not coaching. Like, if you're the head coach, first off, right. there's a balance right. of this, there's a balance of this conversation. So if I say you're not coaching, I put that picture, I put that last frame of James Franklin in there for a reason if you're watching on YouTube. He's a part of practice. Every time we go there, Nate, he is an active yep. part of practice on multiple areas, special teams, offense, defense, quarterbacks, running backs. It's not like he's not involved. And I think yeah. that people think that he's just sitting in a glass tower watching practice. So, so yeah, not that's, even there. that's not true. <laughs> but then to say that he is um, not some offensive guru and that's holding them back is also not true. Like, none of these things are true. Somewhere in the middle of, is James Franklin, does he have the foresight because of his football knowledge as the head coach to guide the program through choppy waters to a Big Ten championship berth? He's done it once. Can he continually do that? That is not as easy to boil down to as he's not a special mind on offense and he's not X or Y. It's a thousand different variables that are all part of a big picture, and and that might be challenging to like talk about. Yep. But it's the truth. And like, if there's one thing I want this show to be about, and that's why I'm going on about this, is like the truth is not so easy to just put into a quote. Like it's just not. Yeah, I I agree. I, I just I I don't the amount of time that we spend talking about the head coach yeah in in really in all of sports and this is a, a perspective of mine that has kind of shifted through the years and this is coming from multiple kind of influences on me in coaching right is 
it's just it's just not about the coaches. <laughs> like, it's just not. Like I mean, I I know I get it. We watch we watch movies and we see what um you know the the influence of a great Dick Vermeil is right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a great. That's. It's just yeah. not that. It's are your players better than the other team's players? And yep. then do they have a framework within which to work that can be successful? If the yep. answer is yes to those to those questions, then more often than not, you're gonna win games. Yep. And you know, look, like it's that there are different ways and methodologies to get to where you want to go, but I, I don't think it's so I I don't I don't think that it's more important to have a certain type of head coach than it is to have all of the other pieces in place. Right. Right. All of those, all of those other, and, and this again, like this isn't to, to uh, delegitimize what James Franklin is doing, but Penn state's next coach, whoever that is Mm -hmm. down the line, will have an infrastructure in place that will be poised for success. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so as long as the hires are made and the recruiting is done at a level where there can be the personnel that can win games on the field, they will continue to have that success. Like it's not, (laughs) it's just, it's just, it, yeah, that's, it it is what it is. Um, I, I don't, I, I put far more importance uh, in place on the ability to identify the right personnel, right? Because that's yeah. a huge part of this is talent identifying evaluation. the right personnel, yep. talent evaluation, and talent acquisition. Yep. If you get those things and then you make the right hires to be and, and set the right direction, right? Like yes. if, 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 if James Frank... The, Here's, can, the, I, can I just... Because you're right. Yeah, go ahead. Right there is the answer to set the right direction. Because here's the thing, if you're a great offensive coach, and let's take Chip Kelly for an example. He had a scheme, right? And the scheme was new. Joe Moorhead had a scheme. The scheme was new. It caught everyone off guard. There was an innovation that happened, and they became great coaches because they had this great idea. But you have to be a constantly evolving organism. So if you're idea becomes old and stale and the read option has already been figured out to some degree by defenses then you're back to square one you're just another coach that now has to find another way to find that cutting edge if you're a coach that notices these trends sees these things and can go find the next guy for talent evaluation and acquisition at the offensive coordinator position with the quarterback coach then that's the same thing as having a guy that is continually evolving in a great offensive mind. And James Franklin, I think a couple detours here and there, has done that. Has done that. When he saw that his scheme that he brought from Vanderbilt was not working, he went and got Joe Moorhead. When he saw, when Joe Moorhead left, he brought in Ricky Ronnie. Ricky Ronnie got a head coaching job somewhere else, and we are in an interruption because of what happened with uh, Kirk Shiraka into the first year with Mike Yersich. So we'll see if he found a guy that can evolve that was a very effective play caller and a very effective offensive coordinator in a previous stop. The answer of Mike Yersich is not wrong. It's what you said. Can the players in the scheme develop? So Losey's mustache, 
Thanks for the question. I appreciate the rant time. <laughs> his is here, here's what is fascinating for me to consider is what if college football stops being about explosive plays and turnovers, right? Like, and there's all the evidence in the world to suggest that those things are what dictate wins and losses by and large at this level right now in the game. What, what if it, what if it changes? Right. Like what if what if it becomes what if it's because you know how these things go. Right. Like uh, the game is cyclical and uh, to to steal from true detective time is a flat circle. Right. So so uh, can can James Franklin adjust if that's the case? But there's no reason to wonder that right now, because that's not what the here and now is. James Franklin has identified a methodology that he thinks, given the, the the talent that he is able to acquire at Penn State, can perform, uh, that it that it is a winning, successful formula. Uh, I, I don't know. Like right now, as of today, it, it's hard to say whether or not that translates on the national level because Penn State hasn't been on the national level in a few years. But th- there's an argument to be made based on what we saw last year. And it's a it's a question that will persist going into this year, right? Is is the Kirk Ferentz, Jim Harbaugh throwback to the Stone Age methodology of winning football games? Is is that possible to continue to have success? No. Right? Like it, no. So again. We got a couple more questions to get to. We're running out of time. But like one of the things I try to do, and I I, I need to do more of this truthfully, get more into this if this is going to be my role as the film guy, is like try to understand where the game was going and see the evolution as it's happening instead of talking about it after it's already happened. But if you look at Georgia, I was watching some stuff online and I was doing some research about uh, Kirby Smart and the way he built his defense. And he showed five years ago versus his national championship team. And the size of the players was down 15 pounds in some places. They have a linebacker. Curtis Jacobs is 227. N'Kobe Dean is 227 or 225. They're the same size. Speed, quickness, explosiveness. You've got to be strong at that size. You cannot sacrifice so much strength. So you got to find special guys still. But even their defensive line, and we talk about Jordan uh, Davis during the draft process all the time. He was a part-time player. Their defensive line was fast, it was agile, and it got after things. And that's the framework of what James Franklin has has brought in on defense. That has been his philosophy since Vanderbilt. So these things are correct. Get the players to run the system. What you said, get the players. Because like every time we talk about explosive plays and turnovers, defense, all these things, I agree philosophically with the structure of what they're doing. They have to execute it. And that comes, again, back to the, the, the decision-making from the head coach to the play calling of the defensive coordinator to the execution of the players, to get their execution al- of also, plays. Also get so many that when you're unlucky and one gets hurt, that it doesn't hurt you. Yep. Do that, too. Yep. Uh, let's see where we got a couple more here. We have uh, Ben says it's, it seems Penn State is loaded at tight end. Will we see three tight end sets, tight end fullback wildcat? Uh, ben, the answer is yes. I don't think that that's going away. I think Penn State is going to they leaned on their tight ends last year. It's just that things were not effective because of the, off, the offensive line, the offensive line for a lot of that. 
when it comes to the wildcat is is what I'm saying. Nate, hmm, does it seem that way? I don't know. I'm I to me the jury's a little like there's something to prove at that position this year to me, uh, just given what the performance was last year. I think I like will to the to the questions. Yes, sure. There will be three tight end sets uh, and more of Tyler Warren as a wildcat. I, I don't, I don't think that there's any reason to to think that that's not the case, unless the personnel that they have in the running back room is better than that and can already fulfill that. Right? Yeah. Like if you, yeah. James Franklin used to say it. Uh, a, a decent amount, right? If 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 you've got two tight ends on the field, you're taking somebody off the field. Who are yep. you taking off the field? Who who isn't going to be in on that play? Is it Keandre Lambert Smith? Is it Nick Singleton? Right? Like wh- who who's the player that you are sacrificing for to be able to go that way? Um, so yeah, no, I don't, I don't. I mean, look, like there's there's lots of options. It's just a matter of those options proving themselves to be consistent. And yeah. I, I, if, yep. if there's one thing that stands out to me about last season at the tight end position, it's that they weren't, they weren't consistent. Yeah. So we'll see the, the way that Mike Yersich talked about those players. And I think the physical talent of guys like Theo Johnson, and especially what's making the three come to the front is the fact that uh, Tyler Warren has flashed so incredibly well and has built on that in the offseason as far as his physical talent. So then it becomes to me, Bretton Strange, can he hold on to a position on the team? He was the best run blocker last year, but is that the case this year with those two younger guys developing? So I still think that there's going to be value there and the way that tight ends at the highest end of their abilities, the way they can destroy a defense, that does change some things for your offense. And you can be more multiple from a traditional heavy set. And that's how you play power football now. That is how you play power football, is you develop a good offensive line that can run block and pass block. And then you have the ability to play pass out of a run set, which again isn't anything new. This goes back to the New England Patriots in the 2010s. Okay, so last one here for the show, and I I think we've talked about this a good bit on the last rant. John Ashley on... uh, on Twitter asked, do you see a fundamental shift in defensive personnel brewing build style of player is the general game evolution or more a methodical approach? Yeah. Players are getting smaller. You're seeing more DBs on the field and uh, you've got to be able to find a way to get the numbers in the run game. That's, that's the real rub. But Nate, to, to your point, it's not about stopping points. It's about limiting points in college football. So that's why creating more opportunities. Yep. For your offense yep. by stealing the ball from the opponent. And this is this is the reason when you ask, is the old school way of uh, playing football going to come back around? And my answer is no, because fundamentally the rules and the evolution of the game have given a cheat code to the offense. And if you're playing as if you aren't going to use those rules. And by the way, Iowa does use RPOs and read options. They just don't have, you know, they're running the ball a higher percentage of the time. And they're doing these things with an old school mentality, which is not about maximizing points. It's about limiting the other team from having the ball and playing it safe, playing it conservative. But as long as you're... and cashing in. Exactly. As long as you're functional on offense against that team, 
They're going to be tough to beat, but you can beat them because you can get points. Yep. Uh, we yeah, gotta, uh, I mean, we, we look, gotta, they, didn't, they didn't do anything off it. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. We got to wrap yes. up. Uh, I've got an engagement to get to here, unfortunately. So that's going to do it today for the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Thanks to everybody who gave questions to the show. We had such a great conversation that we went about 10 minutes longer than we normally do. Uh, we'll be back Oops. next week with your questions and more on the Thursday edition. But we wrap up the show tomorrow with a BWI Friday. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you then. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.